Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're very likely well aware of the overwhelmingly positive feelings that you can have after a swim. But why? Sina Matthew is Assistant Professor of Biology at the University of Mary Harden-Baylor, and as a neurobiologist, she studies the effects of swimming on the brain, of which there are many, both long-term and short-term. I started by asking Sina if she was a swimmer herself. I'm more of a leisure swimmer. I, don't, I wouldn't say at all that I'm an athlete or competitive swimmer by any means. Um, but I, I've been an athlete my whole life and have just always incorporated swimming into the mix and into that routine. And what, what led you into neurobiology? Oh, um, I think it was in my genes. Uh, <laughs> my, mother, my mother is a psychiatrist, and so I was always exposed to the brain and always fascinated with the brain. And so in college, I got my degree in neuroscience and then continued and got a doctorate in neurobiology. So I've just, I've always been fascinated with everything related to the brain. I, f- I found you because I saw your um, article in the conversation and then I sort of did some digging around of your publications and that sort of thing. So you've published a lot uh, in this area and this particular part of work was about um, the effect of swimming on your brain and the and the boost it can give to, to all sorts of things. I was interested. So we know sport and you know aerobic activity is quite good for the brain what makes swimming special do you think I mean I think a lot of it is similar to like you mentioned aerobic exercise is beneficial exercise is beneficial but there's something about swimming and like I mentioned in the article we don't know exactly what it is I don't know that we can pinpoint to one aspect of it But when you're swimming, you have that added resistance of the water. So that helps with with that muscle movement. You're incorporating your whole body in that activity. So you're getting that cardiovascular benefit. There are studies related to swimming or just being in water and how that helps give you this meditative, relaxed, from the start and so that helps with stress and depression and all kinds of things Um, and then just incorporating all of those together which you get with swimming it it seems to make that a better form of exercise than just running or cycling or other aerobic activities that's so interesting isn't it and how does it well, how does aerobic activity in sport, how does that help your brain in the first place? So with aerobic activity, there is a protein that's found in the brain that's known as brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And one thing that's been found is that as you are engaging in swimming and as you are engaging in that aerobic activity, you're increasing the levels of the brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is BDNF. And the BDNF is known to help create new neurons in your brain. So it helps with cognition. It helps with learning and memory. It's increased specifically in the area of the brain known as the hippocampus. 
And that area of the brain is responsible for learning and memory. And so when you're increasing those BDNF levels in the hippocampus, you're helping your cognition, helping learning and memory. Um, but other things with BDNF, it's also been found that individuals that have depression or anxiety post-mortem, like when they look at their brains, they have lower levels of BDNF. So when you're swimming and increasing those levels, you're helping to alleviate and minimize the effects of depression and anxiety. Is that connected to the serotonin and dopamine systems or is that a separate effect? That is separate. So you also get the increase with serotonin and dopamine and your endorphins as well when you're swimming. But BDNF um, is its, has its own pathway. Who shows it more? I know, I know that there's lots of studies for children. Is, it, is swimming good for all ages with regards to you know, mental health and, and that sort of thing? Or is it mainly, mainly kids? Yeah, it's been shown to be beneficial for everyone. Like you said, there are studies with children. There are also studies with elderly individuals that have looked and shown that individuals that are swimmers have better cognition and are able to complete tasks faster than elderly non-swimmers. I think the problem we run into is how long have they been swimming, right? So it's hard to kind of have a control. Um or it's difficult when you have people, right, to get that group and things like that. But it's been found um, children, young adults, elderly individuals, adults, everyone um, has that improvement and benefit from swimming. Some of the examples you list are really cool. Kids increasing their vocabulary. I wouldn't have thought of that one. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And multiple groups have done similar kind of studies and have found all throughout their development. I was um, reading some studies, even looking at like high school age children and found that high school athletes that were swimmers performed better on um, different academic tasks than non-swimmer athletes. So it's just it's seen all throughout. That's so interesting. Do you think there's a certain amount of swimming that can be done? Can we, is it, can we go swimming for half an hour a week and have that as a mental boost or have we got to do it every day? What do you think? I don't think you need to do it every day. The studies have shown you can do it at least three days a week. It doesn't need to be done daily, but I think what has been consistently shown is it should be done fairly consistently. So you just swim once, you're not going, you'll see some benefit, but it won't be a long-term benefit. Whereas if you're doing it for a month, you'll see a much longer benefit from that. And if you're doing it even longer, Um, but it doesn't like the study you mentioned with the kids, the children and the vocabulary, they were only swimming for three minutes at a time. So it's not a long time, but they needed to swim. They were just doing it fairly consistently um, and got that benefit. It's really interesting that such a short amount of time could have such an effect. I mean, swimming does sound kind of like a magic pill, but uh, what do you, I mean, what's, what's your gut feeling about whether, what's different about swimming, do you think? I mean, like I had mentioned, for me, it's a really meditative, relaxing process. You're engaging all of your senses, right? Your sight, sound, smell, 
Um, but you're also, at least I don't have any technology that I have with me. So I'm not listening to earbuds. I'm just listening to the water. I'm listening to my breath, focused on that and just swimming. And so I think sometimes, especially now, we're so focused on everything that's going on around us and we're getting inundated with all kinds of things from all different angles, right? And um, to get just even 30 minutes of just quiet and just focus on whatever you want to focus on or not focus on anything and just focus on your movement, I think is really great for your brain, just that disconnect from everything and just focusing on yourself for that time. Yeah, there's not many there's not many sports like that. I mean, you, it forces you to have a nice rhythmic breath and it cools you down because you're in the water. Not many sports are exactly that immersive, I don't think. Right, right. And I mean, especially for anxiety, like people who have anxiety tend to have really rapid breathing and have hyperventilation and panic attacks. And swimming has found because of that rhythmic breathing to help with that anxiety because it forces you to essentially focus on the breathing and focus on just swimming at that moment or floating or whatever you're doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think breathing is a big part of it too. Is this an area of study for you? Are you going to do more studies in this area in the future? Yeah, so I actually do research with my students um, and have them engage in different uh, aerobic activities, including swimming, and then have them in my class. And so I've been monitoring how they've been doing. Oh, that's perfect. So you've got you got your own little lab rats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't call them that, though. No, I'm yeah. sure you don't. <laughs> Um, how long can you track them for? Can you take them over their whole undergrad degree? Yeah, so right now I've been doing it for a couple of years. And so the hope is just to kind of watch them, monitor them and see how they're doing and see, you know, comparing different students with different majors, backgrounds, things like that, and see how they're doing. Okay, that's interesting. And have you found anything particularly novel of recent times? Novel? No. I mean, it's, uh, I found that the students that are engaging in the aerobic activities are doing, performing better than the students who aren't. Um, and the ones that are swimming are performing better than those. So I have been seeing that, but there's a lot of different aspects that I need to look into it as well. So yeah. How do you control for all those other aspects? I've always found that an interesting aspect of these sorts of studies, and especially longitudinal ones, sort of controlling for the fact that maybe those that have the opportunity to swim are maybe their socioeconomic situations better or something like that. Yeah, and that is one thing that has come up, right? Because not everyone knows how to swim. And so then that's uh, a, a thing. Well, I've been focusing is when they're in my class and then comparing it to how often they're actually studying. So trying to get that information and then seeing. But you're right. There are differences in terms of how they're coming into the class, the level of knowledge that they have and, um, and different aspects of that. So that's why I said there's a lot that I'm still looking into it right now. 
But when I look at the data, it does seem, it doesn't seem to really matter based off of how long they're studying. It does seem to be dependent on what, whether they're actually engaging in activities outside of the classroom. Okay. Well, if it's over 100 Fahrenheit right now, it shouldn't be too hard to get them into the pool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and what's next, do you think, for, for, your, uh, for your work? Um, I, I'm really interested in that aspect of it. I would like to look into the um, more of a controlled, so just getting groups and having them do actual exams and uh, assessments and, and then assessing what is the level of cognition or improvement and then also trying to get activity. So if I can get like brainwave activity before and after they're doing these different um, levels. So swimming for a certain period of time, doing different strokes and seeing the different brainwave activity, things like that. Oh, that would be interesting if you discovered that, I don't know, breaststroke was better than butterfly. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's, I think that's one of the difficulties when you're looking at what people have published is all the different types of strokes and then the speeds and um, the lengths of time. So it's very difficult to say, yes, this is the exact thing you need to do for this amount of time. You know, we don't have that prescriptive Thing. we're getting closer I think. and so at least right now if you had to recommend somebody that not necessarily a swimmer how often do you think that they sh they should do it what would you recommend as a as a starting point for people to to improve their their mental health I mean I think just getting in the water would help them so I think just getting in the water and doing what they're comfortable with because if someone is uncomfortable that's going to make them anxious to begin with and so that's not beneficial to anyone um, so going in at your comfort, getting in to the water, it's been shown that just getting to where the water is like at your heart level can help increase blood flow and increase circulation. And so one of the things that's thought is maybe it's that increase in blood flow and that cerebrovascular blood flow that's helping with that brain functioning as well. And just walking around doggy paddling, swimming however you want, that you feel comfortable and relaxed. And then you can just keep doing it. So one of the great things about swimming is you can do it every day, right? It, because of the lack of impact on your joints. and um, So you can just swim every day, but you have to get that comfort, I think, first being in the water and comfortable with it. Well, you said you were an open water swimmer, right? So what do you enjoy about open water swimming? I like that it's it's a little more interesting than swimming up and down a pool uh, and following the black line. But I also like that feeling of being, I like that feeling of being off the coast and a little more out of control, I guess. Mm. I mean, I do get a little anxious if I'm separated from everybody. I mean, I get quite a lot anxious. It's not, not much fun, but there's a little bit more danger, I suppose, to it. Maybe danger is not quite the right word, but uh, it's a little uh, more uncontrolled, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, because I was, I, I found a study that was, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there was a girl that what she was 24 years old and she um, had major depressive disorder and she had it since she was 17 years old and different medications weren't working for her. So they did open water therapy, just the cold water, having her go swim out in the open water. And um, she was able to get off medication. And from the time of the medication for at least a year after she was able to be off of that medication and she was swimming out in the water, they said up to 30 minutes a day. So not a lot, right? Like not for hours and hours a day. And, but she was doing it consistently and she was able to, to get off of her medication. So I've, I mean, I've heard, I know people like that and the, the sort of meditativeness and the, the, fully, the fully immersive state. Do you think there's something different about open water swimming than swimming in the pool? Well, so open water swimming tends to be colder, um, I guess, depending on the season. And there is a protein, there's a cold shock protein that's been found to be, act, so <laughs> it's called RBM3. And they're thinking that it can be involved in the formation of new connections, kind of similar to the BDNF that I was talking to you earlier. And so when someone is swimming in open water and getting and that cold water, they're getting that production and activation for that protein, which can then also help with those neural connections. I wonder how cold you need to go. They had mentioned um, it, it got pretty cold, but I don't know like the, what the upper limit was because they said it can, <laughs> I mean, obviously you could start it or you can get it when you're having temperatures that would cause a person to go into hypothermia, but obviously you don't want to go that cold <laughs> when you're serving. Um, so I don't know what the upper limit was, but it's activated at pretty cold temperatures. It's what animals use for hibernation to like when after they come out of hibernation to get the activation of the of the neural pathways back up and going. That's so. fascinating. So I mean that sounds like yeah, some sort of super protein that helps you get going again. I mean but I imagine it, yeah. I imagine getting into the 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 freezing water, there's a whole lot of other aspects as well. You know, your adrenaline would kick in and and I don't know, all sorts of other things yeah. would happen. Yeah, and the cold water activates your parasympathetic nervous system as well, and that's your you know rest and digest and calming nerve part of your nervous system. So that also helps with that too. I have I have heard that if you're having an anxiety attack or a panic attack, one of the good things to do is to just get in a cold shower. Yeah, I mean, because there's one thing where just submerging your head in cold water activate is, is thought to activate the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve stimulation is one thing they use for treatments or with helping with depression. So like just having that cold water submersion help or your facial submersion helps with that too. So there's a lot, I mean, I think you're getting a lot of different benefits with just the open water, cold water swimming Yep. compared to the just pool swimming. And then I think there's a, there's a benefit. I mean, something else I like about it is the social nature. I mean, you're out there by yourself. You're still swimming by yourself, but you, you, you 
pretty much always doing it with somebody else. There's there's some ceremony involved, I guess, in that you get there and you talk to people and at the end you're hanging out as well. There's, there's something very nice about the community. Yeah, yeah. And the, that the blue-green, you know, like the, you're surrounded by the water, but then the green, of the, yeah, all of that I think plays a role too. That's actually something else I heard for, for anxiety was that it's good to get out and just look at the horizon and just have space. Right. And that's something you yeah, definitely you, have. Yeah, because you're just focused always on like what's happening at that moment right in front of you, right? And so if you go and just see the vastness of everything and see it's so much bigger, yeah. Are you, uh, are you getting in for a swim anytime soon? Well, actually, right after this. Ah, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> this is usually the time I go for a swim, and I was like, I'll do this, and then we'll just go and run to the pool right after this. Oh, that's appropriate. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Thank you very much to Cena Matthew for taking us on a neurobiological tour of the effects of swimming on the brain. If you'd like any more information on anything you've heard in this episode, get over to the website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. Thanks very much for tuning in. I'll catch you next time on The Pod.